Lord Jesus, let us value our children the way you do, and as we open your word today, may you speak to our hearts in your name, amen. You may be seated. Now, some of you may be thinking, is Pastor Chad such a pulpit hog that even on alumni Sabbath, he insists on preaching? Actually, I thought I was going to have the weekend off, um, but when, when Spencerville Academy comes calling, I obey, and, uh, and so here I am. I am not an alumni of Spencerville Adventist Academy. My kids may be one day. Uh, they are attending there, and as long as we stay put and they don't act like their father did in school, it just may happen. Um, it's good to see all of you, though, here, and there are many faces I do not recognize, and I'm sure you are alumni. Some of you I do know from various things, and we're glad to have you here. Thank you for the wonderful music, SAA and SAA alumni all around. We appreciate it very much. I enjoy having this many people here. It's, it uh, creates a little extra enjoyment during the sermon for me because I see that some of you have to move seats, like the Hesses are over here on this side today rather than on this side, and... Uh, and um, you know, various ones of you are, the Krugers have moved up a little bit, I see, and, and so Ed Zinke's all the way over here on the right side, so, so I know where you all sit. Jeff's all the way over here on the right rather than a little bit in the middle, so I, I follow all of you, and that's what I do while I preach, so I'm glad to see all of you, and I'm glad for all those of you that came. If you are in the area, we hope that you'll come every single Sabbath. We would love to have you here with us. We want to uh, also affirm Amanda and Herman and Ben and Lucy and congratulations on the dedication. I heard uh, Marilyn say that Spanish is the language of heaven. I actually, even though I'm an English speaker, I actually do agree with her. Although I would question if, if uh, Abuela Laura would, would agree that Puerto Rican Spanish is the language of heaven. And uh, I don't know. I think we're going to use our S's in heaven. So, uh, but we are glad to have all of you here, no matter what language you speak, welcome. If you want to open your Bibles with me to the book of John, chapter 10, we are going to be talking about Adventist education. And as we talk about that, I want you to keep in mind our response for today's sermon. I want you to think about what's on the back of your connection card there. I have some responses. I will pray for all the young people in our church, those who go to our schools and those who do not as well. I will pray for SAA, our academy, our homeschooling parents, and all of our Adventist schools. And then the last one, I will financially support the ongoing ministry of SAA and the Spencerville Church by consistently helping to pay down the $2.8 million mortgage. You may say, why do you mention that? Well, I mention that because it is all of our responsibility as a church family. And I would even say as alumni, I know that Christine and I continue to give to our various alumni, our academies, and our colleges and we want to encourage you all to do so as well. But we want to talk about Adventist education, and, and I want to share with you why I believe Adventist education is so important in these times. But I want to start with John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not, know the sh who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for 
my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. This is how Jesus feels about all of us. This is particularly, though, how Jesus feels about our young people. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, the famous English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, and I agree with him, take care of your lambs or where will you get your sheep from? Take care of your lambs or where will you get your sheep from? You know, if a species is going to survive, if a species is going to survive, the young must be protected. Otherwise, that species will become extinct. Of the 4,000 species of mammals and more than 8,500 species of birds, about 120 kinds of mammals and 100 different kinds of birds cease to exist. Some of the birds and animals that existed when some of you were kids no longer exist. They become extinct. In addition, there are nearly 1,000 other species that are endangered or nearing extinction. A classic example of this is something I'm sure many of you heard of, the extinct species is the passenger pigeon. We've all heard of the passenger pigeon, which at one time in this world numbered in the billions, and it is now completely extinct. An example of near extinction in North America is the bison, which at one time was innumerable. If you had asked me a few years back when I first was moving, you know, I was, I was born, I was not born, but I was raised in California and spent most of my life there, and, and, and I literally thought that, that there was California and Texas and Florida, and, and really I didn't know what else was in between there. But we were driving across country, and we were in uh, Kansas, I think we were maybe Kansas or Nebraska, we were on Highway 80 going across country, moving out to Ohio, and I remember seeing a bison, a buffalo, on the side of the road. In a, and I, it, it blew my mind as this city kid. I only thought these things still lived in zoos, but there are actually some of them out there. But they are nearing extinction uh, in North America. The lion, which has been the hunter's most desired quarry, is diminishing. Some ecologists believe that the Africa of the future may not have any lions. In Asia, the position of the Bengal tiger of India became so critical that it was placed under complete protection from hunting in 1970, and that protection is actually working. I, I found out just recently, a couple weeks ago, I was reading the story, and it caught my attention because my son landed, and his favorite animal is the tiger. He sleeps with this giant tiger about as big as he is, and uh, his favorite color is, is orange, and, uh, and so he was we were reading the story and I read it to him and he was so excited about it that actually for the first time in decades, the, the population count of the tiger is increasing. So this is working. The protection is working. Only by about six tigers, but, but we're glad for the increase as long as they stay in Asia and not come into our backyards. Uh, the polar bear in Arctic America and Siberia, which is threatened by extinction, is now protected by an international Treaty is now protected by an international treaty. All of these animals, there is much being done to protect them. There are a number of reasons for the extinction and near extinction of certain species. There is hunting. Many years ago, of course, there were no licenses, and you could hunt at will and kill whatever you want, which nearly wiped out many species. The encroachment of civilization. Animals were and continue to be 
forced into areas that are not suitable for them. As, as humanity expands and as our building expands, we are pushing uh, animals further and further into areas that they cannot survive. Commercialism, the desire for money, is more important sometimes than in preserving certain animals. Pollution, we hear much about pollution and what it does to affect its adverse effects not only on us as humans, but also on all the living things in our world. So what does this have to do with Christian education, particularly Adventist education? Well, I want to go back to Spurgeon's statement. Take care of your lambs, or where will you get your sheep from? Take care of your lambs, or where will you get your sheep from? Every parent is a shepherd with a flock whom they are responsible for. Every pastor is a shepherd of an identifiable flock. Every teacher is a shepherd with a responsibility in their classroom of, of caring for a flock of students. And literally, every church member, each one of us, is a shepherd, and in this congregation, members not only of a flock, but also responsible for the lambs around us, the young people that we see in our midst. And to each one, I believe, the good shepherd says, take care of your lambs, or where will you get your sheep from? Folks, we need to really heed this statement. We really need to heed this statement, and here's the reason why. Most of our churches in North America are dying. That's just the truth. They've either stopped growing or they are dying. Not, not most by a small bit. Most by a large amount. Did you know that if we just took care of our own sheep, we didn't have any conversions or anything like that, our churches would actually all be double in size. But we've lost We've lost many of them. I remember they talked about when I lived in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was at Southern Adventist University. They said there are 10,000 Adventists that live in this area, 10,000 active Adventists that live in this area. And they said there are 15,000 former Adventists that live in this area in Chattanooga. We actually are, are, are becoming extinct by our, by our lack of care of our own sheep. There is a close parallel between the reasons for the extinction or the endangerment of some species and the dangers facing the lambs, which many of us, are, which many of us feel a great responsibility for and which all of us are responsible for. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Just as animal species are, are becoming extinct through hunting, the devil himself is hunting not only us as adults, but he is in particular hunting for our children. The young are very vulnerable to the hunting of the devil, and I believe the devil likes to, to take out the lambs early because he knows, he knows if he can get our kids when, he's, when they're young, that it's much easier to keep them for him to keep them. We must therefore take care of our lambs. That's why integrated throughout the curriculum in our schools and in worship and Bible classes, spiritual and moral lessons are presented to our students. They're presented to our students. God's word is the sword, the Bible says, that, that, we are, that, that will give us the victory. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 11, thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Thy word have I treasured in our heart that I might not sin against you. The church and the school in conjunction with the home. The home is a, is a central feature, but the church and school in conjunction form a triangle to prepare our children to stand victoriously against the attacks and the hunting of the devil. Folks, we are living in that time. Many of you are homeschooling your kids as well, and I consider this Adventist education. But for those of you that are not, that are sending your kids to school, I would encourage you to send them to one of our academies. Of course, I would love you to send them to SAA, but I would like for all of our academies, just as I would like for all of our churches, to grow with many people. But I've rejoiced as a parent with the amount of scripture my kids are learning at Spencerville Adventist Academy. Dayton has been memorizing various texts of scripture, and Landon as well, but Dayton especially throughout this school year. And I love the fact that these texts are, are substantial, large texts. Some of you may be like me. When we were kids, uh, we, when we went to Sabbath school, you may remember that we had memory verses that we had to learn, and you wanted to learn those because you wanted to make sure you got your, 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 your stars, right? You remember the stars? And you got to go up on the board and put your star up, and you got the, the gold star or the silver star. Do you remember all these, these stars that we, used to have to, that we used to get to put up on the, on the board there? Well, well, when I was a kid, I remember we had to learn some pretty big verses. I, I, I'm, I'm a little sad sometimes when I see that my kids have to learn, like, Jesus heals. I'm like, well, they can, of course, learn that. That's not worth a star. I mean, they know that. But I'm glad at SAA, man, my kids are learning like long scriptures and, and, and having to memorize these things. And I know that some of them, some of them, there will be moments where they, where they don't remember all of these things. But, but, but you may, like me, have experienced those moments in time where someone says something to you and God puts something in your brain and you say it. And you may think to yourself, man, I didn't even know I knew that. Any of you had those moments? Or I didn't even remember that I, that I knew that scripture. But God brings it back to your memory. These texts, uh, uh, the scripture that's being planted in our students in the various environments within our, within our schools or at the feet of a mother or a father, these texts will help protect our young people from the hunting of the devil. We talked about the encroachment of civilization as a critical factor in exerting a negative impact on God's creation. Paul admonishes us to be mindful of the encroachment upon our hearts. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans chapter 12 and verse two. And Jesus in his prayer for us said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. To keep them from the evil one. The fact of the matter is, folks, we are raising our kids and our kids that are growing up in our church, and we ourselves are in the midst of an evil world. And the things of this world, are, they easily encroach upon us. And it is our responsibility then as shepherds, whether parents or, or, or pastors or members, to do everything in our power to use our resources of time and money and energy to provide opportunity for our children to obtain an Adventist education. Our schools, they are not just schools. The parent that is homeschooling their child at home, it is not just a school. It is a church school. It is a church school. That means that the church has responsibility. I'm so thankful for the members who give willingly to support the students 
in our schools. They give willingly to, to help students to be able to go. Cliff was up here talking about the thank offering. And, and, and I loved what he said, and I'm going to mention something about this later, but I love that he said that that dollar is not just a dollar. It is a life. It is a life. I believe that with all of my heart from my own experience, which I'll, again, I'll share in a minute. But, but when you're giving, you're participating with the Lord and his work in these young people's lives. The, Ellen White clearly identifies the relationship between the work of education and the work of redemption. Education, page 30. In the highest sense, listen to that, in the highest sense, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. In the highest sense, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. So when we support Christian education, Adventist education, with our time and with our money, alumni, when you give back to your school, when you give back to, to, to what helped you to grow, when you give back to these, these opportunities, you are not only contributing to education, but you are actually playing a role in the redemption of a young person. So again, I praise the Lord for those within our congregation that, that support not only the, the, the tuition assistance, but also the paying down the mortgage to keep our doors of our school open and our school functioning. You know, this church gives $80,000 to help more than 15 young people go to the school. And a lot of people I hear from people, they say, man, Spencerville Academy, though, is, is just really, really expensive. And I've been one of those that have said that. But I want to say this. I know for a fact that they do everything in their power to make sure that not a single student is turned away from receiving an education at that school. Yes, it takes some sacrifice, but they also sacrifice and other people sacrifice. Did you know that the school has already committed $275,000 to tuition assistance to make sure that kids can go to school there next year? Folks, and this is from donations from people. This is from, from others. This is, this is parents who are paying the full amount so that others can go. Some of us that, that pay the full amount, we don't do it and say, well, I don't want to pay the full amount. I don't care if other kids can go. No, we pay the full amount knowing that some of our tuition is helping another student be able to get an Adventist education. Why? Because it's not just about an education. The highest sense, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. Can I see the parent here that would say, you know what? I'm not really worried if my kid's saved or not. Anyone want to raise their hand? None of us would say that. How many would say, grandparents would say, I'm not really worried. This is why we give, because our highest priority is the salvation of our children. Pollution, another factor that has serious implications on the effect of today's creation. It also affects the youth of today, and it affects many of us as adults as well. We must guard the avenues of the soul to keep out those things that will pollute us. It is getting harder and harder and harder. I told the first service today, I was talking about how just driving down the freeway when we lived in California, we'd drive from Visalia to Fresno for various things, and just driving down the freeway, there were so many billboards along there that I would just think to myself, Jesus, please just cover my kids' eyes, and I would try to distract them as we drive down the road. Just driving, the pollution, the visual pollution was, was, was ridiculous, why then will we not do everything we can to put our kids in a place, in a situation, in order to keep the, them far from that pollution? 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 instructs us, 
Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Truly, great care must be exercised in our individual homes, in what we are being entertained with, the materials we are reading, the videos we are watching, how, how we are using the internet, the, the video games that are being played. We must not allow the standards of society to, to pollute our own homes, but also we should put our kids in the best possible position to be in an environment, in a school, in which they will not be exposed to these extreme pollutions. And it's not just the pollution of evil, but it is also the pollution of air. It is also the pollution of air. This struck me this morning, and it's not in my notes, but I, but I thought about this this morning. Last night, um, last evening about 7.30, our little dog that I joke about all the time was struck by a car and died. And, uh, and my kids, of course, are devastated, and, 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 and that's why they're not here today, and we're just, our hearts are hurting. And I wrote a little blog last night saying, I will never again say it's just a dog. I've lost cats. There is something different about losing a dog. I still, will not, I still will not call myself a dog person, but there is definitely something different. And my heart has, has been heavy, and, my, and especially for my kids. So I'll talk, stop talking about it or else I'll get emotional for them. But, but it was the thing that struck me, the thing that struck me in regards to what I'm saying right now is that the boys were immediately dialoguing about death. And they were immediately... Levi was saying, Daddy, tell Jesus to make bear alive. Daddy, tell Jesus to make bear alive. And he just kept saying this over and over again. And I was like, Jesus, please, you know. But we were talking about this, and, and we were talking about bears sleeping in, until heaven, and, and Dayton, Lana was trying to encourage his older brother, because Dayton is my very dramatic one. And so Lana was trying to encourage his older brother that he's just sleeping, Dayton. He'll, you know, when Jesus comes back, he'll, he'll come back to life. But Dayton, one of the first things he said, as soon as, one of the first things he said, he said, Call my teacher and tell her what happened. Miss Kittleson, he wanted me to call Miss Kittleson. Call my teacher and tell her what happened. I said, I don't have your teacher's number right now. He's like, well, then, then call Mr. Kittleson and he can tell her. I was like, no, we'll just leave them alone right now. <laughs> if you wonder why I'm bossy, I get it from my seven-year-old. Um, or maybe it's the other way around. Uh, but, but he said, call my teacher, call my teacher and tell her what happened. And later he said, call my teacher and tell her that I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to school on Monday. I'm just, Monday, I'm just too distraught. But, uh, but uh, hey, trust me, this is how he is, right, Brian? <laughs> but one thing I thought about in the midst of all this is I thought, one, is that's awesome that his connection to his teacher is such that he wants her to know about this thing in his life. But the second thing I thought about that, that I know that when I send my kid to school on Monday, and he will be there on Monday, when I send my kid to school on Monday, one thing I know is that when he talks about bear dying, the conversations we had about death and what happens when someone dies and what happens in this moment, I know they will be affirmed there at that school. Folks, kids are black and white. They don't need to be getting mixed signals at the school, at the church, at the home. They need to have us working and speaking together in one voice. 
And I praise the Lord that there won't be any type of pollution that will come in there. Miss Kittleson's not going to say, oh, it's so good that Bear's in heaven now. I know she's not going to say that. Folks, this is, this is one of the reasons this is important. In this time, a special danger for the young. Temptations surround them on every hand. And while it is easy to drift to the strongest effort, to the strongest opinion, uh, to the strongest viewpoint, a stronger effort is required in order to press against this current. Every school, and I love this, every school should be a city of refuge for the tempted youth. I love that. Should be a city of refuge for the tempted youth. A place, and I love this line. Oh man, I love the grace that is displayed in this, in this quote. A place where their follies should be dealt with patiently and wisely. It doesn't say that the kids don't mess up. It doesn't say that the kids won't, won't have their struggles. It doesn't say there won't be some, some cons, conflict within even the school. It just says where they should be dealt with patiently and wisely. We should press against the air. We should press against the pollution. But, but know that some of our kids come with some of those struggles, and we need places in which they'll be dealt with in their folly, patiently and wisely. Oh, I praise Jesus for a school's Schools that dealt with me patiently and wisely. Your pastor who was suspended three different times. I praise the Lord for schools that dealt with me patiently and wisely. And even though I was on a very close relationship with the principal and the guidance counselors and all kinds of other people in the school system, I praise the Lord that they kept on working and fighting for me because it was at Adventist schools that I gave my heart to, to Jesus. And I praise the Lord for that. God has established our schools as a city of refuge to protect the lambs, our children. To protect the lambs, our children. This does not mean the devil stays out of our schools in every way or every shape. He never gives up. Wherever our young people are, our, the devil will be trying to seek and destroy them. Students are never exempt. Students, you're never exempt from the need to make wise decisions. But our schools provide many opportunities to help Young people develop spiritually. Classes and parents who are homeschooling integrate spiritual values across the curriculum. Social activities hopefully are provided that, that elevate rather than bring down. Physical activities are, are provided to remind us that, that we are about mind, body, and spirit in the Adventist church and not just the mind. But our schools aren't perfect. Our schools aren't perfect. And some of you might, right now might be saying, man, my experience was not great at the school. And for those that had a really horrible experience, I apologize. We at times, anywhere where there's a human experience, there's, there's at times failure. Our schools aren't perfect though, but, but some have chosen to focus on those perceptions, I mean those imperfections, and become overly critical of our schools. Some did not have the greatest experience in one of our schools and, and they've chosen to use that as an excuse to disqualify all of our schools. Some have been deluded into thinking that our academies are not up to par, even though documentaries made by other denominations, other religions, state the exact opposite, that Adventist education is of the highest value. Articles that have been written in the Christian Science Monitor, articles that have been written in the Los Angeles Times, dispute the fact that our academics are subpar. But even if we weren't perfect, even if we weren't the best, from a Christian Seventh-day Adventist worldview, Adventist education, whether in one of our schools or at the feet of a mom or dad, is still the best option in spite of the flaws. 
And in moments when I forget this, I go to the book of Samuel. Turn with me to the book of Samuel, chapter 1. Samuel, chapter 1. You may remember the story there in Samuel, chapter 1. It's about the birth of Samuel. There's a lady named Hannah, and Hannah has a husband. Hannah is very upset, and Hannah has a husband who has another wife. And she should be upset about that, but that is not what she's upset about in the moment. Instead, she's upset because this other wife is having babies, and she is not. And she's in the temple, and she's praying, and she's, and she's crying out to God, and Eli the priest sees her, and he thinks she's drunk, and he goes to scold her. You cannot be drunk in this place. And she says, oh, no, my Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm asking God because I want God to grant me a child. And, and Eli sees his heir, and he, and he says to her, the Lord will bless you with a child. And she goes home, and, and her and her husband have a baby. And little Samuel is born. And little Samuel begins to grow. Now verse 21 of chapter 1. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is to be to the Lord. And he worshiped, and then Samuel worshiped the Lord there. I don't read this because of her sacrificial commitment of her promise to the Lord, although that is very good and is very impressive. I read this because of what I read in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible tells us, Now the sons of Eli, verse 12, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Verse 23, now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Verse 25, they would not listen to the voice of their father. I read this, and I think about this fact. This was the environment that Samuel was going to school in. This was the environment that Samuel was learning in. And sprinkled throughout the, the, the sordid story of Eli's sons, uh, sprinkled throughout the, 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 the exhibit of failure of Eli as a father to properly educate his children, sprinkled throughout the, 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 the picture of the poor influence that was upon little Samuel, we read over and over again in verse 11, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Verse 18, now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. Verse 21, and the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Verse 26, and the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. Things were not perfect in the school of Eli, and yet for better or worse, the place that the name of the one true God and his truths were still being taught 
if not followed by all the pupils or even all the instructors. Yet the place where the name of God was still being taught and his truths were still being uplifted, this was still the best place for little Samuel there in their midst. Now I can testify, having sons at our school, our school is not like what I described above. Praise Jesus. But my point is that even if our schools are not perfect, where your worldview is being taught, where there are people that are still bowing the knee to Jesus, where our kids are not encouraged to compromise Sabbath or diet or other such issues, this is where we should still be sending our kids imperfections or not. The fact of the matter is this, folks. Even if our kids are learning at our feet, if my boys only were at homeschooled and they were at my feet, guess what? There would still be imperfections there because their dad is full of flaws and so is their mom. And I don't know a single parent. I love all of you and some of you are much better people than me, but I don't know any of you to be perfect. There's not a single one of us. And yet we wouldn't say take your kids away from you because you're not the perfect teacher. So we encourage this. We encourage this where our kids can have the best opportunity to say yes to Jesus. We do this, and we do this young, and we do this early for our kids because we know, just as the devil knows, that if he gets the lambs early, it is likely they will not be sheep for the Lord, but they'll be sheep in wolf's clothing for the devil. We also know. We don't just know it subjectively. We know it objectively, folks, that if we do not reach the hearts of our children while they are young, then the chances of us ever reaching them decrease rapidly. George Barna, in his study and in his book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, he says there are a number of startling and significant findings that cry out for our attention. He points out the importance of the spiritual dimension in every person's life. In a series of studies, he stresses the importance of guiding your children in their choice of inviting Jesus into their hearts at a young age. His findings show that the probability, listen to this, the probability of someone embracing Jesus as their Savior between the ages of 5 and 12 is 32%. This drops to 4%. Folks, from 32% to 4% for ages 13 to 18 and 6% for those 19 and older. What is the best time in which to reach our kids? Five to 12 years old. Parents, I wanna encourage you. I know that we've been taught sometimes, don't encourage kids too young to, 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 to get baptized or to make a decision for Jesus. Folks, I just wanna encourage you with all my heart, do not ever discourage your children's honest decision for Jesus Christ. I have so many friends that I know that said, when I was seven or eight years old, I said, can I be baptized? And the pastor or my parents said, no, not yet. And to this day, they're not baptized. And we also know Not subjectively, but as fact, that if our kids make a decision and are baptized at a young age, they are more likely, even if they stray for a time, they are more likely to come back again. So let's remember that in our own homes. But this is why education is important. So that those nine hours a day, that they're away from you if they're not homeschooled. So these nine hours a day, they will have an opportunity somewhere in there to say yes to Jesus. I went to academy in Ohio. I went to academy in Loma Linda, California, and then I went to academy in Ohio as well. 
As all of you know from my many stories, I was not always the best kid, including me telling you today that I was suspended three times. I had no interest in church. I had no interest in the things of church. Even in our own home, we were nominal in our religion. As I've said to you before, we were in during the first song, out during the last song, try to talk to no people, sit in the very back corner and slip out. No offense to the people in the back corner. You may like that place very much. Uh, But sit in the back corner and, and slip out, and we still only did that about once or twice a month. Once or twice a month. And I tell you this as as, as with all certainty, if I had not been in a Seventh-day Adventist school, I would not be here today because it was through the influence of my peers and through the teachers and, and the leadership of the school that did not give up on me, this kid who kept screwing up, who did not give up on me that, and continued to give me opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Continue to give me opportunity. There was, there was time after time after time in Bible class or in various, I remember my history teacher, Mr. Dunham, always asking us to, to, to share our prayer concerns and, to, and he would pray over, over the students in our class. I wasn't interested in it. I never shared any of it, but I kept hearing it. I kept hearing the talk. My math teacher, Fran Snyder, was one of the, the greatest ladies ever. And she would pray and she would talk about math like in connection with Jesus. And I don't even know how she did it. I know a lot of people pray during math because who can do math? But, but, but over and over and over again, there was opportunities in which I heard about Jesus, even though I didn't think I was listening. And one night when my chaplain said, who wants to give their heart to Jesus, gave me that opportunity again because I was in an Adventist school environment, I stood up and said yes. I stood up and said yes. Not because of a pastor, not because of a church, although now I realize it, it was because of a pastor. And it was because of a church, because a pastor and a church locally were supporting that school. And because even though there was some nominalism in my parents at that time, they're now much stronger for Jesus, the thing that they did absolutely believe in was Adventist education. God did not let that, them, that go out of their heart. And they sent us there, all three of us kids. And so by the grace of God, I'm here, and I am grateful for Adventist education. Folks, we as a church, we as leaders, we as members, we as parents, we have a great responsibility to protect our lands because our church in North America is becoming extinct because we are not protecting our lambs and not helping them to grow up to be sheep for Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we want to pray for all the kids in this church. I don't care if they go to public school or if they go to home school or they go to Adventist school or they go to some other Christian school. Lord, we want to pray for all of them. We want to pray for every parent, every grandparent, every aunt and uncle, every friend that has an influence over these kids, every member that sets an example to these children. Lord, may we do everything in our power. May we sacrifice everything, no matter the cost, financially or emotionally or or time, no matter the cost. May we do anything to sacrifice for the salvation of our children. May we recognize the importance of education, that education and redemption are one. I thank you, Jesus, for using a school and using the people at that school to save my life. And Lord, as people gave to make sure that I could be there, Lord, I pray that you will help me to give back so that other kids can be at our schools and say yes to you. 
Jesus, we love you. We love you for your patience with us. May we invest in the things that you are investing in. In your name we pray, amen.